morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm host Lewis Alvin with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tweet to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291 6901. We would love to have you call. That's it. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We sure wish you would. We love hearing from our listeners all over the country, all over the world. And That's it. In the Baton Rouge area in particular. <laughs> <laughs> give us a call. 291 6901. Speaking with a gentleman Wednesday or Thursday, and he was asking some questions. The engine in his car had failed. Uh-huh. Uh, he ran it out of oil or something like that. Anyway, we were just discussing the different options, and I suggested a used engine okay. to him. And he seemed kind of surprised. Well, why would I put a used motor? Why not just a, a rebuilt, a remanufactured? Uh-huh. And I said, well, there's different ways to do things. Right. And sometimes a used part is actually better than, say, a remanufactured engine that hasn't been done exactly up to snuff. Correct. Now, I mean, if money is not an object and you can afford to go back to the manufacturer, say go back to GM and buy a GM remanufactured engine, well, that's going to be a pretty well-built engine. Right, but it's probably going to cost you twice or maybe three times as much as a used engine. It's going to cost a lot more, but it is... An option, certainly. But uh-huh. a lot of the aftermarket used engines that you see, be it some guy locally in a machine shop who rebuilt it. Or right, or maybe even a big national you, company. Yeah, you find on the internet there's these companies that rebuild engines and stuff like that. A lot of those we have found are just not really built up to a very high standard. No, they're not. They're built long enough to get them to run for a while, and before long you're having trouble with them again. And it's just not a, not a very good option in my opinion well that's right and the thing about a used engine is it is an original equipment engine correct it was built to the original specifications right be it gm or toyota or honda or whatever whoever it may be another thing on a used engine is like for instance let's go back to toyota toyota does not sell an engine for the most part right Uh, they they actually sell that engine in pieces right they sell a short block and then you got to buy a cylinder head and then you got to buy this and this and this right so by the time you assemble it from pieces you have spent an inordinate Yes, you have. And if you can find, say, a used Toyota motor with lowish miles, let's say your car has 200,000 miles when the engine fails. Right. Well, let's say you can find an engine with eighty or 90,000 miles. Because Toyota builds an engine, they like to use it for several years. Oh, yeah. So you can actually take that engine, say it, just just say a a 94 Mm -hmm. model car you have. Right. You may find a 96 or 98 model engine that will go into that vehicle. It's the same engine. It's just they carried it through the years, and that was the last year of production. That's right. So in that case, a used engine may be a very good alternative. And, of course, there's lots of other places where used is as good and sometimes even better than new. It is. And we'll go to our phone lines first. We'll come back and talk about that. we got Bob on line. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Lewis. And that's Brian, I believe, right? It is. Yes, it is. (laughs) Bob McCarran with the Antique Car Club. Uh I just tuned in a few minutes ago. I was just going to talk a little bit. There's a car show this Sunday. It's not our show, but it's put on by the Heartsease Family Life Church on Florida Boulevard. It's 12112 Florida Boulevard. Okay. And it's a motorcycle, truck, car show, any type of collector car. It does not have to be antique. It can be modern cars. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some awards and food and so forth. And registration is from 11.30 until 1, and the show's from 12 until 4 on Sunday. Okay. uh, Now, when you say registration, that's registration for the cars that are going to be displayed, right? Correct. In other words, the public doesn't have to register to attend the show. free, right. Okay. Public free, so registration, I guess uh, it'll pay for the uh, trophies and so forth, but the 
ideas to raise money to help underserved teenagers attend the youth camp this summer. Okay. So it's for a good cause. Well, so good I thought video. I could advertise it a little bit. <laughs> there you go. And give us those times again, Bob. Okay. The show is actually from noon, 12 noon until 4 p.m. on Sunday, May 31st. Okay. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And registration, you can actually pre-register if you call a number. I think, see, I, I can give you a number here probably to call to pre-register. Okay. But it save a few dollars. But the registration, if you show up tomorrow, is from 11.30 a.m. until 1 p.m. Okay. And if you call this number, 573-0686, I believe you can pre-register, call in, and save a little bit of dollars. Okay, there you go. Well, that's great. I hope that really turns out well for you. All right. Well, thank All right. you. All right. Thanks for calling, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. And those are pretty interesting events, generally. If you like looking at old cars, uh-huh. and this also includes motorcycles and trucks and, and right. just and it's not all antiques. There's custom jobs out there. It may be a new car that's been customized. Right. So it should be a pretty good show. I think I think people really enjoy. They, it sounded like they were going to have a big turnout from what I've what I've mm-hmm. heard so far. And it's for a good cause. So right. Yeah, if you get a chance, you need something to do tomorrow afternoon. Right out there. Swing on by there. Take a look. Florida Boulevard. Get you some eats and look yeah, at the cars. Right. <laughs> there you go. Talking about used components and new components uh-huh. and such as that. And an engine is one thing that comes to mind with me just because another reason I like a used engine is because it's already completely assembled. In other words, the heads are on it, mm-hmm. the valve covers are on it, the oil pan is on it. All of that stuff is factory sealed. A lot of times when we get a, a used engine in, the people that it took it out mm-hmm. just unhook the wiring harness unhooked everything from it and take the whole assembly out right you usually get all your wiring harness i mean you can drop it in plug it up if it was the same year model mm-hmm. sometimes you got to swap the wiring harness out because wiring it's different, maybe one of the different. or something it's right different but yeah, yeah so, for the most part it's all assembled and that may save some labor hours correct which is going to save you some money correct one of those other things when you start talking about use as opposed to new i know Many, many years ago, I used to own a body shop, uh-huh. and we would much rather have a used door right. than to try to build a new door. Right. Because a new door comes from the factory. It's primered. has no undercoating in it. does not have the motors in it. does not have the regulators has in no it. has no soundproofing No soundproofing or it's any of that bare, kind of stuff. It's a bare metal door. Just a bare shell. Uh-huh. And no matter how good you try to do in the body shop, you can't match what they do in the factory because they've got huge machines sure. where they can dip this thing in siliconized undercoating and all that kind of stuff. So when you can buy a good, complete used door, then all you have to do is sand it and paint it. Now, another advantage that I always found is that paint sticks to paint better than paint sticks to metal. Right. And this has already been factory primer. A lot of times, electroplate primer, which is far uh, more durable than anything you can apply in the field. Mm-hmm. So when you sand that factory paint and apply a top coat to it, you've got a very good substrate for your paint to adhere to. Right. As opposed to trying to take a primer door and sand that and prepare it and get it ready. And There's a lot more steps involved in working on a regular aftermarket door than it would be a factory well, Or even factory a new, door. new OEM uh, as opposed to a used door. Just There's lots of things that have to be done. You're trying to get paint to adhere to a new door is not as good as getting paint to adhere to a door that's already been painted Correct. with a factory paint coat. So one of those other little examples there. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a little quick break and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
Kid Wines. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Oh, 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two two zero. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's two nine one sixty nine zero one. And should you happen not to want to call us today, or think of something after we go off the air, right. or even next week at midnight, you can always go to our website, send Louis an email, and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is a g c o a u t o dot com. The contact bar on each and every page, just click it, fill out the form, and send it in. Couldn't be much easier. There you go. We'll get an answer right back to you within 24 hours. Normally a lot faster, but it just depends on where I'm at. at the and what time of day it is. what time of day or night it is. That's right. <laughs> we were talking a bit about alternatives when buying things, uh-huh. used as opposed to new, or new as opposed to remanufactured and so on. And we've got a lot more to cover on that, and we're going to get back to it in just a second. We're going to catch a few of these phone calls first. We've got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I was wondering, do police cars, besides maybe brakes and seats, do they have better built transmissions in them compared to ones that we get? Normally, the transmission is pretty much the same, and I'm not going to say that's a, a hard and fast rule because there may be some police intercepts that have a different transmission in them, but... For the most part, what we see is the same transmission. The suspension is generally different. The steering gear is normally different. They have bigger stabilizer bars. Like you mentioned, they do have heavier brakes on them many times. The shock absorbers are often different on them. They do have a lot of heavy-duty options. Some even have a little bit different tune on the engine. They have a little more timing and such as that. As far as I can remember, I don't know any that have a different transmission in them, although as soon as you say that, you can be wrong, you know. Uh, they, they may have a bigger cooler. May have a bigger cooler. Because of the extended idle times and yeah, but you know, when the way I, it's driven. When I order parts, I don't really see where they ask that question a lot. Now, when you order suspension parts, they very often ask, is this, this a, you know, like, let's say you're looking up a part for a Crown Vic, which is a common police-type vehicle. They generally, if you look up a steering gear, they're going to say police interceptor is one gear listed and the standard sedan, another gear listed. Or let's say you look up stabilizer bars or any of that. But when I look up stuff like transmission parts or even the transmission cooler, it generally doesn't ask that question, which tells me they're probably the same part. Okay, I just I know they're bound to put them through a lot heavier, rougher use than we do. So they I'm do. Curious. They do. All right. Well, that's all I want. All right, Herb. Well, thanks Thank for calling, man. Bye. Bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive fight, we would love to have you. And we've got Ricky online. Good morning, Ricky. Yes, sir. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Great, sir. I have a 08 Dodge Ram. Six cylinder truck. Okay. And the check engine light comes on, but then it goes back off uh-huh. normally before you can even get it checked. 
Yeah, that, should, that shouldn't make a difference on an 08, Ricky. Even if the light goes off, it'll still be stored in memory. See, the way those systems work, they execute close to 2,000 different tests. And it doesn't execute every test on every drive cycle because certain tests have to have certain criteria. Let's say, for instance, one test may say it has to have a cold start. Now, it defines a cold start as the ambient temperature and the coolant temperature matching each other. So let's say you start the truck. Okay, that's a cold start, but maybe it takes it 10 minutes to run this test. You drive it for five minutes and turn it off. Okay, well, it's not going to run the test. Next time you start it, it's not a cold start anymore. So it may not run the test the rest of that day. Next day, the same thing happens. Well, after two or three times, it's going to turn the light off and move it to history. So the light looks like it's going away, but it's not. It's just moved into history. And that just allows the register to start checking other things. But you should be able to, uh, anyone with a scan tool, a proper scan tool, can go in and still retrieve the data. It'll still be in there. There'll be a freeze frame, which tells you what the sensors were seeing when it happened. And it'll tell you what code is stored. So the light doesn't have to be on to diagnose the problem. Well, one guy said it's showing multiple misfires. Okay. All right. no, normally it happens when I'm, sometimes I'll take a break and I'm sitting with the truck in the air conditioner. Now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, multiple misfires are going to be pretty dangerous for you because what happens when an engine misfires, a charge of gasoline is not burned and it goes out the exhaust. Now, it doesn't just go away and disappear. What it does, it goes into the catalytic converter. Now, a converter may run anywhere from 800 to 1,200 degrees under normal conditions. But when you start dumping some gasoline in, the temperature is going to go sky high. I mean, it'll melt that converter in no time at all. I mean, you can run around with a misfire for a couple of days and wipe out a couple of catalytic converters, and those are not inexpensive. They're generally anywhere from 800 to $1,200 a piece, and it may be two of them on the truck. So that's a problem you're going to need to get figured out and get fixed. What you may want to look at is when it's misfiring. If it's doing it more than idle, then you're probably into something like a vacuum leak or an EGR valve sticking open or something like that. If it does it under a load, you're more likely looking at something like a spark plug or a call or a plug wire or something like that. So if you can kind of narrow it down to when it comes on, see the thing with a misfire also, it's going to have, when it sets a misfire, it's going to throw the light on. But then if it's keeps checking it no longer sees the misfire turn the light back off again but there is another part of a scan tool that with a factory tool an oem style tool you not only get the code but you can go into what they call mode six and mode six will show you the misfires it's like a scope and you can watch the cylinders running so you can actually see the misfires and identify which cylinder or cylinders are missing and that's where your freeze frame comes in because it takes all the parameters that every sensor is seeing it lists it out and freezes it Mm-hmm. when it sets that code so you can go back and look did it misfire when it was cold and idling because it has rpms in there or did it misfire when it was going down the road with a load on it right so it gives you yeah. a good bit of data should be stored in right there. and somebody who can interpret that data and understand it can fix that vehicle pretty easily mm-hmm. okay if i wanted to make an appointment would y'all want to call the same number or is it a different number no no uh, it's 291 6900 is a number at the shop and we open monday through friday so just call elaine or elizabeth whoever answers the phone they can handle everything for you all right thank you very all much right, man. all right sir thanks ricky bye-bye all right 291 6901 is the number here at the radio station there you go funny how that worked out <laughs> 6900 at the shop 6901 here how about that <laughs> Strange how those numbers yeah. work out like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not all of me is a possible number. How about that? We were discussing used and new and reman, and uh-huh. just buying things in general. And, of course, we talked a little bit about an engine. And 
Another thing would be maybe a transmission. Right. You may be able to save a good deal of money on a used transmission if you can find one that's fairly low mileage. Now, obviously, if you've got a car that's 25 years old, right. you really don't want a used transmission. No, because if you find a transmission that old, it's going to be pretty much done. Uh Uh, But if you've got a relatively later model car, or if you've got a car that doesn't have much of a history with transmission problems right for instance let's take a toyota they really don't okay. have a lot of transmission issues with toyotas that's just one problem they really don't have much of uh-huh. generally when you see a transmission problem in a toyota either someone serviced it improperly or there was a leak somewhere and the fluid ran out and it burned up those sorts of things so if you can find a used one it's probably going to be pretty good right and that's a way to save a lot of money over say a new or remanufactured transmission and to still get a good quality part and a lot of them give you what a 30 to 90 day warranty on them some as much as six them? months yeah right and, and so, 90 days if nothing's happened to it in 90 days right. more than likely it's going to be a well a if, pretty good unit if something is wrong with the unit when you get it it's generally not going to last 90 days no. or it's going to show up right away now you can also hedge your bet and one thing we always recommend to folks when we put a used transmission is if it has a serviceable pan we drop the pan mm-hmm. check inside make sure there's no metal or clutch material in the right. pan we also cut the filter open and check that before we install the unit exactly see a lot of those units come in already empty the yard already empties the fluid they don't transport the fluid right with the transmission so right. when it gets to us it's empty right it's just as easy to turn it over and take the pan off cut the filter open like you were saying and take a look at it well and why would you not do that right it's on the ground it's easily accessible right. it's out of the vehicle well after you spend five hours putting this thing into the car you at don't least, want to find yeah. out then that there's a problem right so, you can really hedge your bet, and what happens a lot of times, we'll get a transmission in, and let's say there's a problem. We drop the pan, and we cut the filter open, and there's a bunch of metal in the filter, or say there's a broken snapper in uh-huh. the filter. Well, it's going right straight back to the vendor. Sure. Because we're not going to even try to install that. We're just going to send them, hey, guys, I don't got a yeah, bad, bad one here. Send me, send me another Get one. Get me another one. And that's one of those things where you can actually increase your odds considerably. So you've lessened your risk. And you've also saved a whole lot of money. Exactly. Which is not always an easy thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Generally, the risk and the money kind of run hand in hand. The more money you got, the less risk you take, and Uh vice versa. But that's another option for things like that. Other things that you can go with used, most obvious to me, is a car. The whole car? The whole car. Okay. When you get ready to buy a car, when you purchase a new car, of course, if you like the new car smell and you just want the prestige of a new car, that's right. great. And even a new car, you should have it looked over. Not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea because I've seen several of them get damaged on transport. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was a, a demonstrator model mm-hmm. that they're selling as new. Right. So it would be a good idea to get even a new one checked. That's I know right. uh, recently my father purchased a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Been sitting on a lot a year. Wow. Well, all four tires had a flat spot on where they'd been sitting. Right. So he got that taken care of before he actually purchased the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Which, in his case, that's a eight hundred to a thousand dollar savings. Well, that's right, right off the bat. Well, and because it's new, doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong with exactly. it. Exactly. And like you said, a car that's brand new that sits for a year is just as bad as a car that sits in your driveway not running for a year. Exactly. <laughs> Time is going to really take a toll on it, and they don't like sitting. So that's another aspect of that. When you start looking at a new car. There's a lot of things that you're paying for that really don't add a lot of value to the transaction from your perspective. Uh-huh. For instance, all the health care for the auto workers. 
It is comes added of, into the price of a car. That's right. The the fifteen that they ran into a wall to yeah, satisfy the government. Yeah, the two hundred cars they smashed into a wall and to make the government happy. Well, that's all added back to the price of the car. Sure. So there's lots and lots of things that are cost items that are added. All those two minute commercials during the Super Bowl that cost millions of dollars. <laughs> that's added back to the price of the car. Sure. So you're paying for a lot of things that really don't have anything to do with you getting in your car and going down the road. Uh-huh. And with a used car, all that is more or less removed from the transaction. So that's why there's generally a huge savings. Now, not all used cars are equal, and there's like a sweet spot of what you're looking for when Correct. you buy a used car. And we're going to talk about that in a little more. Okay. Of course, we're going to go back to our phone lines. We've got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I've got a, a problem with the I have an 03 Ford Escape with the 3.0 V6. Okay, sir. And the last few months, I noticed all... And uh, an all leak uh, underneath after the car been parked overnight. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the leak is getting bigger and bigger. I have not looked under it yet. I looked at top side, and it does not seem to be coming from the uh, valve covers or anything. I wonder if you passed you know, your experience with that particular engine where it sort of look, look for that all leak. Yeah, I mean, we see a bunch of different things, Paul. The most common thing, like you mentioned, is the valve covers, but a lot of times you can't see it from the top because what it does, it oozes out between the cover and the head. And it kind of wicks its way down the side of the engine block, and then it drips off at the lowest point on the engine. I've seen that misdiagnosed as a rear main seal because it drips off. The lowest spot is the bell housing, so the oil runs right down the engine block and runs off, and it drips off right there. And I actually had a guy come in who had just changed the rear main seal, which is not inexpensive, still had the same leak, brought it in, we found valve covers were leaking. So you can't really just look. you got to kind of look from underneath to be sure that's not it. That's if, one common If error. I remember right, that intake actually goes over the back it valve does. cover, it and does. you can't, you can't, can't really see the valve cover on the back side. Well, that's right. one other thing that we find pretty common, and hopefully this is what it is because this is really inexpensive, but the all-pressure sender unit is uh-huh. kind of problematic. That's real inexpensive and easy to change. It's just a little metal piece that screws the engine. It's got a piece of plastic that's crimped into it. And right where that crimps out, over the years, they start to vibrate and move, and they get loose, and they'll start leaking right there. And that generally has full oil pressure on it, so it can be a pretty significant leak. Right. And it kind of starts out small, but gets a lot bigger. So that's another area where we see. Of course, anywhere that two pieces of metal come together, be it the oil pan or be sure. it the timing cover, I mean, on and on and on, that can There's leak. gasket. Yeah, the, the most common thing we see is probably the valve covers, but they're kind of hard to inspect without a lift where you can really get under the car and look up and see. Right, I understand. Where in particular is that um, oil sending unit? I really don't know off the top of my head, Paul. Uh-huh. You just have to look on it. Normally, they're close to the oil filter somewhere, so mm-hmm. you might just look at it. And you'll see it looks kind of like a little spark plug or something coming out right. inside the engine block. Right. Or if you want to fire off an email, I can look it up in service data. I just don't remember off the top of my head. They stick them in so many different places that every car is different. I just can't keep track of all of them anymore. I understand. All righty. Okay, appreciate the info. All right, Paul. All right, sir. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break, but we will be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) Ho, 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 Lewis. 
fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. And today we're talking about use as opposed to new and buying things and so uh-huh. as far as that. But uh, we'll take a call any question you might have. You just could give us a call. Well, your belts are squeaking or your brakes are squeaking or your car won't start, won't stop, whatever. Uh, right now is a great time to call. That's right. Whatever malady may be affecting <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and give us a call. 291-6901 will get you right straight to us. And we'll start talking a little bit about new cars and used cars and so on as that. And one thing that comes to mind, when you buy a new car – Many, many times, there are going to be little glitches in it, little uh-huh. things that have to go back. And, of course, some people say, well, it's under warranty. Well, that's true, but it's still a real pain to bring it back and leave sure. the car and yeah, yeah, yeah. One advantage to buying, let's say, a two- or three-year-old car is that someone has already done all of that for you. Right. For instance, you mentioned your father-in-law who had bought the car and the tires while around. Uh-huh. Well, that manifested as a vibration. Right. And even though he was able to get another set of tires, he had to take time to go down and probably argue with him about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was actually done before the transaction. Okay. Well, this vehicle was checked before he actually purchased it. Well, that's it. only because he had used a son. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But most but, people don't have that. Right. So you would have had to take it back down. Right. And tires is one of those things you kind of get pushed around on. You do. You know, the, the dealership says, no, those are so-and-so tires, so you got to take it over there. Right. Well, you go over there, and they said, no, that's a new car. Yeah, you got to well, go back over there. So right. you kind of get to run around a little bit with tires on a new vehicle. Well, and on everything, uh, because most of the dealerships really don't like doing warranty work. They don't get paid the same for warranty work to do customer pay work and they do it to a degree but generally well, they do it because they have to kind of begrudging yeah. yeah so it's not a fun thing when you buy a car a late model used car someone else already done all that exactly. they've gotten the wind whistles and the water leaks and the vibrations and all those things tended to for you so you're walking into a vehicle that is probably going to be a lot more trouble-free for you. At two or three years old. Right. And, of course, there's lots and lots of other advantages as well. We're right. going to cover all that in just a minute. All our lines have lit up, so we're right. catch some of these. Let's see. We've got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Hi, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Uh, I've got a 2002 Dodge Ram 1500 with a 4.7 V8. Uh-huh. Seems like after it gets up to running temperature and I stop at a light or something and then take off, I can see a puff of smoke. Okay. Come out of the tailpipe. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I, I don't know that much about cars. Well, so. Greg, what I would ask first is, are you consuming a large amount of oil, or are you losing oil between oil changes? I'm losing some, not a tremendous amount. I'd say maybe a quarter every thousand miles. Okay. And are you losing any other fluids? Like, is the coolant going down or brake fluid you know, going down, any of that? The last time I changed the oil or checked the oil and all that, mm-hmm. I've noticed like this little yellow jelly-looking stuff in my filler cap. Okay. Yeah, that's moisture. Mm-hmm. And that is, yeah, I've got the orange coolant. So right. Are you, are you losing any coolant? Do you have to add coolant to the car? I have, again, not a tremendous amount. Uh-huh. And you can detect the smell of coolant, like when I park and get out of the truck. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But I can't see a, a leak. Yeah. You know? Well, I tell you, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned if it were just a little oil consumption because you can buy a lot of oil for what it costs to fix that however yeah. if it's actually drawing coolant into the engine that's a different matter because that's going to cause the engine to fail and what i would want to do is probably have a 
couple of tests run, a pressure test to start with, possibly a die test, and see, has the engine ever been overheated in the truck at one point in time? At one point in time, I had uh, the radiator actually right. broke. Okay. And, you know, the light came on. Yeah, probably got pretty and- hot. You know what I would suspect, Greg, and again, this is just one possibility, so don't get too scared about it, but if it got hot, it could have warped the cylinder head because it happens pretty frequently on those, and it won't start leaking immediately, but the head gasket will start to leak after a period of time. When it does, it can leak into the cylinder, and the way it works is that when you turn the engine off, you've got pressure in the cooling system, but you've got no pressure in the cylinder. So it gets forced into the cylinder. Now, when you crank it up, you can get a puff of smoke because of the coolant in the system. Now, when it's running, you've got probably 160 to 200 pounds of pressure in the cylinders, and you only got 15 or 16 pounds in the radiator. So the pressure, you know, it's not going to leak in while it's running down the road. Yeah. So that's one of those things, again, kind of like the first caller we had, where you're really going to need to get it looked at because that can end up being a much bigger problem well like on the startup it's fine like i said it doesn't start doing it until the truck is hit running temperature for a little while okay okay uh, and then it of course it's not blowing smoke while i'm driving down the road but you wouldn't be able to tell that that much anyway it's after right. i sit at the light and this might sound crazy but it almost seems like the longer i drive uh-huh it quits doing it as much well yeah because the converter gets hotter as you drive more and so it starts okay. to vaporize that kind of stuff when the converter hadn't fired off yet, then things tend to go through it, so you're going to see it more. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Is that kind of the, the kind of work that y'all do? Yes, sir. We, y'all, we, y'all will do we can, yes, sir, like we can diagnose and cure that problem for you. I would, yeah, And it may not even be a head gasket. It could even be like one of the intake gaskets is leaking a little bit of coolant. It's getting sucked into the engine. So there's a number of ways that coolant can get into the engine. But the combination of losing coolant, having been overheated in the past, and the puff of smoke, kind of really bugs and then the gook on your cap all those kind of combine to really perfect storm yeah a perfect storm of a a problem i guess another question is is that something that you would have to disable the truck to diagnose no we would not disable the truck we can run some non-invasive tests that could identify the problem now to get an exact diagnosis you may have to but it's one of those things where Okay, we're wondering if it's a cracked head or a blown head gasket, but it's sort of a moot point. because right. either way, it's got to come off. The head's got to come off either way it right. goes. So what you do is you say, okay, what we're going to do is tear it down. It's going to be this much. If it needs a head, it'll add this much to the job. If it doesn't need a head, it'll be this much. So it's kind of a moot point. You've already pretty much committed to either I'm going to fix yeah. it or I'm not going to fix it. If you're going to fix it, it's just going to be the price of the head would be the only difference. Well, yeah, I guess it, it would depend on how much that gets into on whether this truck is worth. Yeah, exactly. So I like the truck. I want to keep it for a, a lot longer. Right. I mean, can you give me an idea of what you're looking at? Not without this? seeing what it's going to be, but I mean, no, it's going to no, be a I'm lot less than another. Exact. You're not going to be able to replace the truck for what you can fix it no. for. If you like the yeah. truck on that, it'd certainly be a, a fixable I mean, unit. Even if you got to put a used engine in it, yeah, it's I, still cheaper than buying a new one. Yeah, or even a used one. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to have to get it to you. Okay, man. Sounds right. great. Thank you, Louis. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we've got Tony's been patiently holding. Good morning, Tony. Yeah, good morning. Got a 2001 Cadillac DeVille, 80,000 miles on it, garage kept, uh-huh. uh, well-maintained. But I, I changed the battery since it was 2001. I, I changed the battery about a year ago. Okay. And ever since I changed uh, to a new battery, I've gotten all kind of warning lights, and the air condition will not work uh-huh. but what i'm saying i think it, i think the car is fine it's just that it looks like it's out of tune out of 
sync or something. It could be, Tony. That's got a pretty complex computer system on some of those old Cadillacs, and it can disable a lot of stuff if it kind of freaks out. The first thing just to try is to go in, disconnect your two battery cables, and then just touch the two cables together. That will kill all the memory. That's just called a hard reset. Be sure you got the key off when you do this. Connect the battery cables back, turn the key on, and let it sit for a while and go through its little thing and see if any of that clears up. Now, if it does not, then you're more likely going to have to bring it to a shop and they have to go with a scan tool and clear some of those things out. I know the air conditioner, if it gets a code stored in memory, it will not allow the air conditioner to work. It shuts it down. And that has to be reset with a scan tool. Yeah, and what do you check? What do you call the or get on a computer to check? If there's any recalls on it. Uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. All right. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Al's been patient holding. Good morning, Al. Good morning, man. Yes, Good sir. morning. I've got a, an 01 GMC Sierra, okay. 150,000 miles. Uh-huh. And I'm, it's a personal transportation, and I'm virtually on one every 99 plus percent of the time. I'm just in there by myself. Mm-hmm. And I weigh about 200 pounds. Okay. Uh, I noticed that I was walking up that truck. It's leaning just slightly to the left. Okay. But the, can the weight of a just a passenger affect uh, those springs over a period of time? I wouldn't. Think it wouldn't so. be a common thing. How much is it leaning now? It's not. I couldn't tell it from inside the truck, but uh-huh. just looking at it, it's, it's definitely leaning to the left. Now, if you stand behind it and look across the back of the tailgate, does it line up with the cab? Now that I don't know. Yeah. Okay. See, that's something you need to look at because the frame could be twisted. Yes. Or one of the body mounts may have gone bad, and the cab has actually moved. Right. So if you look, and the cab and the bed are lined up, that takes those two out of the Another equation. Thing that uh-huh. we see a lot, and that is where one of the bumpers gets kind of bumped and knocked out of level. And when uh-huh. you look at it, your eye is going to see that bumper before it sees anything else, and oh, it okay. looks like it's leaning, but it's not actually leaning. What I like to do is take a tape measure and go in the wheel opening. Go uh-huh. to the highest point in the wheel opening on the left side, measure down to the ground, and do the same thing on the other side, and compare the two reads. And from the factory, that'll be within a half an inch. There's no vehicles ever perfect. They don't ever sit perfectly level, but it'll be within a half an inch. And a half inch, you're really not going to see with your eye. So uh-huh. if you're level there, you might want to do a few more measurements, like measure the bumper and so on as that. But I've seen either a tailgate will be out of line or the bumper will be out of line, and it catches your eye, and it makes the truck look like it's leaning a lot more than it actually does. Now, you can have a spring that just failed. That does occasionally happen. Sometimes, like Brian said, you'll get a twist in the frame one way or another. Maybe it ran in a hole, it ran in a ditch or something like that and twisted a little bit, and that'll make them lean. So there's a number of things, but if you kind of stand behind the truck and just line the tailgate up with your eye and view it against the back window, those two should be laying parallel to each other. If they're twisted, then something in the frame is is catawampus. Okay, right. well, I do appreciate it. All right, sir. All right, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automobile, we'd love to have you. And I'm sorry, Greg, I cut you off. I pushed the wrong button. If you call right straight back, we'll put you right up to the top of the list. You pushed the wrong button again? Again. <laughs> Those buttons are just too close I'm together for these big old fingers, man. I'm telling you. They're different colors and everything. That's but right. uh, They're just too close too together. Close for together. Me. But, Greg, call right back. We'll put you straight to the top of the list. Hey, we're going to take one last quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the automobile. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. 
Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. We appreciate you listening to us this morning and spending a little bit of your Saturday morning with us. Why don't you go ahead and give us calls, 291-6901, and that's exactly what Greg did. Good morning, Greg. Oh, good morning, Lewis. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Listen, I have a uh, 06 F-150. You have meticulously maintained that truck for the last six, seven years or whatever. Okay, great. But my question is, I just noticed where my drive shaft goes into my rear end, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I just looked underneath my carport, and I saw a couple big drips there, Okay. Okay. So what I did, you know, I, went, look, I went to a car wash and power wash mm-hmm. just to see where the leak was coming. Yes, in. This mm-hmm. in there. And uh, that's been seven to ten days ago, and it never dripped again. Any suggestions? Or? Yeah, you got to be a little bit careful with that, Greg, because there's a seal right there where yes. that pinion goes in. Now, what happens is as the oil starts to leak out, it drops down below the level of the seal. Now, when it does that, it'll quit leaking. So you need to check your oil level, make sure it's full, because most time when it quits leaking, the oil has leaked out past that level, which can end up burning the rear end up. So if you okay. notice when you get it sitting on level ground, crawl under your back, and there's going to be a plug in the side of the case, and it'll have like a, maybe a 3 inch Allen okay. type hole in it or something. Remove that plug, and when you do, the oil ought to be flush with the bottom of that plug. You know, it ought to just okay. kind of drip out of that hole when you do. If it does not, then go ahead and fill it up again. Okay. And you might well, you notice. Know, I, you might notice you put a half a quart or a quart in, there and it's going to start leaking again. Yeah, now, I had to. Re- I had to. Oh, you reserviced the rear end on it six, seven months ago. Yeah, and see if it had leaked before, and then we okay. serviced and filled it up, then it's going to start leaking again. Yeah. See, so, I, I had an appointment with you all, but I have to go out of town. Mm-hmm. So I canceled that about four or five days ago. I was supposed to be in there soon. Yeah, yeah. So when well, I get back in town, I'll give you a call. Yeah, but go ahead and fill it up because you don't end up burning the rear end up. Even if it makes it start leaking again, you don't want to, you want to have enough oil in. Pretty easy. It's seven, probably 75, 140 gear oil on that I one. I think in a Ford, I think that's yeah, what Yeah, so you just want to buy you a bottle of 75, 140 if it's low and then go ahead and just top it up so it runs out that little hole and that'll at least cover you until you can get it in. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Hey, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901. we still got a few minutes left. We wish you'd give us a call, and we'd try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You know what I like to do on that Ford rear end is actually take the speed sensor out the top, mm-hmm. and you take the drain, the fill plug out the side, okay. and you can actually fill it through the sensor. Top. And when the level comes up to the drain plug and starts running out, right. you put the cap in it and then put the sensor there back. There you go. That's it. It's a lot easier to fill because the way that the last one I did, the fill plug was right at the – they had a, a gear right in front of it, uh-huh. and it was hard to get the oil to That's go right. in. Yeah, sometimes it is. A big so ring you, gear might be right there. So if you fill it from the top, when the level comes up to the fill yeah, port and runs check, out. It's just a checkpoint is all it really designed to be. Yeah, it's a lot easier to do it that way. Mm, there you go. Hey, we're talking about used vehicles and so on and so forth. And one question we get a lot is how old of a vehicle or how new of a vehicle should I look at? And, of course, money is going to determine how new of a vehicle you can afford right. to buy when you're buying used. But as a general rule, the best deal or the best 
buy is going to be about a three-year-old vehicle. Uh-huh. Reason being, at three years, the vehicle has hit pretty much maximum depreciation. Right. You know, most vehicles lose about 30% in the first year, probably 20% in the second year, and probably 15% in the third year. So, you add that up, you've lost close to 50% of the value in three years. Now, after that, it kind of tapers off to maybe 10% for a couple of years, and then maybe 5% for mm-hmm. then on out. So you can get a vehicle that has hit maximum depreciation or has just lost the majority of the money it's going to lose in value. But the good thing is it's probably not harmed a whole lot. Right, as long as the oil was changed in on a regular basis. Right. Most vehicles today, if the oil has been changed for the first three years, that's probably about all the maintenance that was really due. Right. So if the guy even totally neglected it, didn't do any maintenance at all, you're not going to be too bad off. Now, if you go and buy a vehicle that is 10 years old, you're going to get a better price on it. Yeah, but, but you're going to have a lot more things to look maintenance at. Maintenance becomes a much bigger issue. If the car were maintained and you've got a record showing that, that's great. Yeah. But if the car was not maintained, you're going to start having fairly major issues down the road that you're not likely to see with a three-year-old vehicle. So as far as bang for the buck, somewhere around three years is going to be your best. Uh-huh. Now, Another thing that a lot of folks don't realize, people tend to concentrate on mileage when they look at a used vehicle. Oh, right. this has got 60,000 miles, this has got 100,000 miles, and so on. Mileage is a lot less critical than years. At three years. Yeah. or really Even any, through the board. Any mileage, yeah, because let's say we've got a – I would rather have a three-year-old vehicle with 100,000 miles than I would have a 10-year-old vehicle with 30,000 miles. Exactly. Because a 10-year-old vehicle with 30,000 miles means that car's been sitting up a lot. Right. It and is, that's the worst thing you can do to a vehicle is sit it up. That's right. Quit it's, driving it. It starts gumming up and things stick and parts go bad and rubber deteriorates and so on and so forth. Totally contrary to common belief where, oh, I want the little old lady's car. You know, right. That's, that's not the one you want. No. That car is going to be a problem mill for you. You can sure. have nothing but trouble with it. Now, a fairly new car, let's say you found a car that's two years old and has 100,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be scared of that car at all. No, it's been in the road. Who could put 100,000 miles in two years? Probably going to be a salesman or right. someone who really drives the car a lot. He's probably in there for four, 500 miles at a time. Maybe he's running between here in Atlanta, here in Houston, here in Dallas, wherever. Right. That car is going to be usually in excellent condition. Now, as with any car... You have to take, you can't just go by miles or just go by years. You have to have the car checked. Sure. Because something could be wrong with that particular car. Right. It just means that your odds of a problem are much less on a newer car, even with high mileage, than they would be on an older car with low mileage. Right. And the thing is, those are the two factors that are going to control the value of the car. In other words, as a car gets older, it's worth less money. As it gets more miles, it's It's worth worth less. less money. Right. So what a lot of other shoppers are not aware is that a car one or two or three years old with high mileage is not hurt at all that gives you an opportunity with that knowledge to pick up a good deal Mm -hmm. we're gonna go back to our phone lines one more time we got loretta online good morning loretta Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Lewis, I have a 05 Altima. I've been having a problem whenever I started. Okay. And anyway, whenever I started the ignition, uh, it won't turn over, and my, like my tires are locked. And then after I turn the steering wheel a couple of times, then it'll kick in. And you know what would cause that problem? Well, when you say it won't turn over, because people confuse us all the time, when you turn the key, what does it actually do? It actually does nothing. It won't make a sound or do anything. So it's not cranking. Yeah. 
I would most likely suspect something in the steering column, like maybe the ignition switch, is going bad because, like you said, if you move the wheel and all that, it start it will crank. Right. Uh, one thing you might just try, Loretta, is next time it does it, do not release the key. In other words, just hold it in a start position, even though it's doing nothing at all. And with yeah. your other hand, shift from park to neutral. Okay. Okay. And if it starts to crank immediately then it's the part called a neutral safety switch could be the problem. And the reason you don't want to let go of the key is because if you let go of the key and hit it again, it may just be working that time, so you hadn't really eliminated anything. So just hold the key in the start position, even though it's doing nothing. Move the shifter to neutral. If it starts to crank, then you're into like a neutral safety switch. Now, if it does not, then you can forget all of that. Then hold the key over and move your steering column. If it starts to crank, again, you're most likely going to be into the ignition switch or the ignition switch harness, which are the wires that go to the back of it. Because when you're moving the column, you sort of gave it away. That's the time it starts to crank again. That's where I would start looking. Now, if it does not, if moving the steering wheel doesn't affect it, then there's any number of things. But you kind of gave it away with that. So that's a good job of, of doing your homework on it. Okay, thank you, Lewis. I appreciate it. All righty, ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. We got a couple of minutes there. We might catch another call. We make it real, real quick. Right. Talk today about buying things, be it used or new or remanufactured or so on as that. And we always tend to think that new is better. Right, but it's not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. Another thing that comes to my mind, I know I'm like CV axles. Right. The new CV axles you buy are generally going to be an offshore knockoff axle. Right. It actually says new on the outside of the box, not rebuilt. Right. I would rather have an original equipment axle that's been properly rebuilt than a new offshore axle that never met the specs to start with. Right. We've had nothing but trouble. Right. We don't use those We don't use them anymore. We tried them when they first came out. And they were nothing but trouble. Well, you can buy them for about the same price as a reman. So uh-huh. it sounds, you know, say, well, I can give sounds you a remanufacturer for this much, or I can give you a new one for this much. Oh, well, give me a new one. Right. But you're not getting as good as you were. Just the world we live in today, there's so many things, parts, car parts and such, that are manufactured offshore. Some of them don't even meet the manufacturer's specs right out the box. I know. We turn them around before they even get put on the vehicle. Oh, yeah. And another thing is on some of your starters and alternators, you see the same thing. There'll be a new part available. Sometimes those are okay. Let's say you go to Honda and you buy a new starter from Honda. Well, that's great. Or you go to Chrysler and buy a new starter from Chrysler. That's, that's a, a new manufacturer. New manufacturer starter. Start, right. But a lot of times what you're getting is some kind of imported knockoff starter that is not as good as a original equipment starter that's been properly rebuilt. And when it goes back, then you don't have a core that's anymore, right. so you have to pay the core charge on it. Tears up and tears up your flywheel. Right. <laughs> Hey, we're going to get on out of here today. We're just about out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and get more people listening to us. That's right. Go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written review. We certainly appreciate that. Move us up and raise so more people can hear us. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.